Okay. Good morning, church. Thank you, James. That was amazing. Okay. Here we go. Um, So it is my privilege. I'm Carmel McCarthy. I am married to Bo McCarthy. Um, I am here to share my fresh bread with you in our fresh bread series. And if you had the privilege to be here two weeks ago when Sharon Buttrey shared, uh, you are one of the lucky ones. And she said something that stuck out to me. Um, She said that this bread was, her fresh bread was baked in the oven of her life. And it was, it was hers, but she was willing to share it with us. And, and then we heard from Sarah Lowry uh, last week, and she shared about how she heard from God for a while, and then she finally jumped, and she's in Albany, New York right now, and she's literally going to change lives as an immigration lawyer. And now it's my turn. <laughs> Mine isn't like that. <laughs> Mine is... Um, baked in the oven of my life, sure, but only as recently as Wednesday, June 20th, and, um, and it is it's much smaller than both of those things. So as I've been praying, I have been praying that the, the crumbs, anything that I've got here, that God will multiply it and it, that you would be able to make a meal of it. And so, Father, even now, I ask you to come and increase inside all of us. Maybe open our eyes to hear, or open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, God, and prepare the way for the impossible things you do. Amen. So, um, we, hmm, let's see. How do I want to begin? I want to begin like this. Um, Just as a refresher, of course, um, we adopted our firstborn son, his name is Harvest, and Shane, if you can put up a picture of him, because it's amazing. He's amazing. And I am nothing if not a braggy mom, and so um, I always, I would take every opportunity to make you look at him. Um, we adopted him, and he's now three, as of yesterday, and when he was one and a half years old, I was sitting right there, and it, Bo was speaking, and he did the thing at the end of the sermon where he says, um, you know, let's go quiet, and let's all listen and hear God's voice. And I heard so clearly, um, let the children come. And I knew what that meant, and that meant it was time to adopt again. And I was terrified. I was not ready. It did not fit my timeline. Um, it, it's a beast to adopt, as we have many of us adopted mothers and fathers in here. And I wasn't ready to do that journey again, but I heard it, and I pretended like I would obey it. And um, I had many impressions since then, and lots of dreams at night of a baby trying to get to me, a baby reaching out its arms, a baby trying to crawl into my pocket. There was a dream where Harvest was a goalkeeper uh, playing soccer, and a little baby was trying to score on him. And I think that had something to do with it. And, um, and I, I just, I knew. I knew every day I was supposed to be doing this. And I just, I couldn't do it. I was tired, and I am tired. And it takes extraordinary resources and um, willpower to adopt. 
and I didn't have it, and I thought, there's no point. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to try. I, I can't do this again. And finally, other people started coming up to me that were having dreams that we were adopting. And they were people I didn't know, and, or that knew me but like, hadn't seen me in ages. And were like, I had this dream. You were adopting. And I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you to adopt. And I'm like, hmm, yeah. And, then somebody here even had the dream, and she didn't even know us well, and I was like, oh, okay. And so I began the process, and it was just as tedious as I remembered. And um, I just, it was discouraging from start to finish. And I was doing it, and even, even as I was doing it, there's a portion that you do online, and I had done quite a bit of it, and then it got erased. And I had to start all over again, and it just felt like, you know, forget this. I, I, don't, I, I don't even want to do this, and it's so hard, and I, I'd like a baby, but not with any of the other stuff. And um, so it was really, it was, it was hard. Then, the people that are renting our house, they, um, so we had two homes, and, because uh, we're flashy, and, we live in one, and the other one we rent out, and it's not that exciting. It's that it so decreased in value and tanked during the housing market that we were stuck with it. But God blessed us with renters, and they rented it from us, and it was, they rented for eight years, and now the market's changed. We thought, okay, we're able to, now we could sell it. So our renters left, and Bo and I went over there to go look through it and see what we needed to do. We figured we'd need to paint it and clean it, because it's been almost 17 years since we've lived there, so we figured the design decisions are probably a little bit sad. And we went over there, and uh, Shane has some of the photos for you. Um, I don't know if you can see, but the, the filth that was in this home was insane. Um, it was just destroyed. Our house was destroyed. and. To be fair, um, our renters got hit so hard by life, and uh, I can't blame them. A little bit I do, but I can't. And also, we were really bad landlords. We didn't hold them to lease agreements. We never walked through the home. We let them pay really late. If they told us they couldn't pay, we lowered the rent. If we, we just weren't good at it. We needed to stop. And now we're stopped, and I'm thinking, we could sell this house and pay for this adoption. That's what we'll do. That's how we'll pay for the adoption. And suddenly, I was really pumped. I was like, we could do this. We can adopt. We, we'll get the money. We'll be able to do it. Because one of my key things with adoption that I don't like is that it requires so many other people besides me. And in my dream world, I would just show up on a Sunday and have a baby and introduce you. And unfortunately, that is not how adoption works. There are myriads of people that are required. And so I'm thinking, this house, we'll sell this, our, our renters will move out, we'll sell this home, we'll have enough cash to probably be able to do a little bit towards the adoption, and then we'll have a little cash where maybe I could fix my leaking shower in my current home, and now I'm starting to feel like my standard of living is becoming questionable for you guys, but trust me, we, we're, we're doing great. And 
maybe I could get that kitchen island I wanted. And you know, so we're, we're planning and dreaming. And then we see those, we see those things in real life, not the, not the photo. And the photos, believe it or not, make it look better. Um, and we think, I, I think, oh my gosh. Okay, well, no one's gonna buy this house. I mean, it is disgusting. And not only that, now no one's even renting this house. So we have to hold, we have the holding costs of this home. And goodbye adoption. This is not gonna work. And this was Wednesday, June 20th. And I would like to tell you that I sang a hymn and I fasted and prayed and came to trust the Lord, and today we've sold it for $4 million, and I'm finishing the roof by myself. And that's not what happened. What happened was I lost it. I could not stop crying. I'll probably cry again. I was convinced <laughs> that we were now desolate, <laughs> that this house represented to me a way to make my dream come true and a way to do it by myself. And now I looked at that and I thought, I, I don't have it. I don't have the ability to make this happen. And I wept, like body-shaking sobs. And I, even when we got home that night, I told Bo, I was like, I'm going into my room and I'm going to go cry there. And he was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, what do you say? You're like, oh, oh, go for it. And I did. I shut the door. I sent a lot of sad texts to my sisters and friends. And I cried and cried and cried until I finally was like, this seems out of proportion <laughs> to what I just am experiencing in life. Because this is my second home. That's absurd. I mean, the, the ridiculousness of me weeping over something that is a massive luxury that almost nobody has is insane. And so I began to sort of wrestle my body down and stop crying and pause long enough and take some breaths long enough to be able to ask God, what is going on? And what are you saying to me right now? And this is what I heard. First I heard Mark 9, which is a story that I'm gonna to read to you about a father who comes to Jesus and he wants to, he needs his son to be healed. And now when I say I heard this, like. So, like, in my mind, I'm just like, like that, picture that. And then suddenly I, I remember this, this story of Jesus. And in this story of Mark 9, Jesus is um, coming back from doing something on a mountain. It's called the Transfiguration. Don't worry about it. And he comes down, and he's encountered. There's a bunch of people arguing. And so that's where we're going to take it up. We're going to do Mark 9. If you want to join with me, Shane. Mark 9, 17 through 29. I'll read it for you. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. 
Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. Why did I think about a crazy story of a little kid being tortured by a demon? Because of that line, and I'm sure you saw it in Mark 9, where he says, can you help me if you can? And Jesus says, if I can, anything is possible if a person believes. Anything is possible. And I heard that. If I can, I heard this big if. And I immediately thought of the ifs in my life. There are so many stories I could tell you um, about the ifs in my life becoming is. Um, I would love to tell you uh, at one point in time I got hurt in a car accident for four years. I walked with the cane. In one night I was healed and I never walked with the cane again. Um, I once struggled with chronic migraines for two years. And after one month of communion and rest in Israel, uh, I never had them again. I, twice, I should have died from internal bleeding, and I obviously did not. Um, when Bo and I were supposed to adopt the first time for harvest, uh, we asked God for help, realizing that our one-bedroom apartment would not allow us to do that. And in one month, we received three financial gifts totaling $50,000. You heard it right, $50,000. That paid off our credit card debt and bought us a beautiful home in Royal Oak. I had a total hysterectomy four years ago, and I'm a mother right now. And yesterday, I sold a couch 
on Craigslist for $300. And it's six years old. And I only pay $500 for that. That's a freaking miracle, folks. I have so many, so many of these stories. I, we would be here forever of when ifs became is in my life. And yet, I needed to remember that one more time. Again and again and again and again. One more time. Again. That if we believe anything is possible, and the best part of that story is that Hebrews, or 2 Timothy tells us, even when you're faithless, he's faithful. So even when you don't believe, it's possible. That's good news. And it's really good news for me because uh, I definitely didn't believe. <laughs> and so he had to help me with this, with this unbelief. All this flashed before my eyes in an instant of realizing this Mark 9, this if. And then I see the next thing, a vision that is so clear in my mind. And I'm going to tell you about it. But first, I have to tell you the story of Jericho. Most of you know the story of Jericho. If you don't, let me rehash it for you. I have a little picture of it, Shane. You want to put it? Ta -da. That's Jericho. Um, Jericho is the city. Joshua is uh, leading the Israelites in the wilderness. They're just coming out of this. Joshua has been taken over for Moses, who just recently died. And uh, Joshua is told by God that you're going to take Jericho. And you're going to take it in a really strange way. And this is what he says to him. He says, uh, this is all found in Joshua 6. The Lord tells Joshua that even though this is a fortified city surrounded by walls, um, he says, I've given you Jericho, and here's what I want you to do. Take your fighting men and march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests should walk ahead of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the vehicle for God's presence at that time. So sort of imagine it's like God's Holy Spirit, his essence right there. And they're going to blow a ram's horn. And then on the seventh day, when you're walking around, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and the walls will collapse, and you can take the city. This is insane. That is a dumb idea. It shouldn't work. Don't do it if you're plotting world domination. It's, it's bonkers. And Joshua does this idea. He actually does it. They take the warriors, some in front of the ark, some behind the ark, and the people, and the priests are blowing the horns, and they march around the city once every day for six days. On the seventh day, the horns blow, the people shout, and the walls come down, and there you have it. Their first big battle won to be in the promised land. Now that you know that insane story, <laughs> this is what came into my mind. So I was sitting there, I'm remembering Mark 9, this if is hanging out in my brain, and then this picture comes into my head. It's saying it should be the little drawing. I see this, exactly like this. There's the little baby, and there's a wall around the baby. And there's, all those stick figures are the fighting men. There's seven priests blowing horns, the Ark of the Covenants right there, 
and then all the little fighting men. And I saw it exactly like that. I drew it out exactly how I saw it, and it actually turned out how I saw it. And probably because the Lord was like, I'll give you a stick figure image in your brain. <laughs> you can't mess this up. That's how I saw it. But I even saw it with seven priests, which is in the Bible, seven priests, which that's creepy. Um, and I saw that. And I saw that picture, and I heard him say, I've given you Jericho. Something that you, I wasn't going to tell you, and I am going to tell you now, is that um, many years ago, when we came up with names for our children that we were, thought we would have in a normal fashion, um, we heard Harvest, and then we heard Jericho. And I never knew why Jericho. I was like, I mean, it's an okay name, but I'm not, like, obsessed with it. This is why Jericho. Because of this picture that I saw in my brain on Wednesday, June 20th, where an if became is, and the lunacy of walls crumbling down became reality. That's my baby. That's Jericho. And I have to go get him. But it can't just be me, because there isn't just one person there. Do you see all those people? That's you. We have to go get him. I can't do it by myself. I need your help. I want my baby. I know there will be sorrow in that journey, because it means someone loses their baby. But God said, I've given you Jericho. So we take it. We take this image and we go for it. One of the craziest quotes that I just love is um, from Alice in Wonderland. It's Lewis Carroll wrote it, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Alice says, there's no use trying. One can't believe impossible things. And the queen responds, I dare say you haven't had much practice. When I was younger, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Six impossible things before breakfast. That sounds like morning devotions. Here is one of my impossible things I'm believing. We will pay for this adoption, and we will meet Jericho, and we will show him or her, if it's a girl, I'm not going to name her Jericho, to settle down. <laughs> we'll worry about that later. Everybody cool it. And I will introduce you to that baby with joy and utter amazement that yet again an if became is in my life. That yet again, what is lunacy becomes reality. Anything is possible because he's the God of impossible things. What are the impossible things that you need to believe? So here's how I'm practicing believing impossible things. Every morning I wake up and I think to myself, every morning, it's only been since June 20th, so settle down. I haven't, like, <laughs> set a new record or anything. 
I say to myself, Jericho Falls. Jericho Falls. Next, I say, anything is possible with God. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, is my third. My fourth is, if becomes is, lunacy becomes reality with God. My fifth thing is I look for the warriors. Who are the stalwarts? Who are the people that believe for you when you don't believe? Who are the people that lower your body through the roof in front of Jesus and you get healed because they made a way for you? Look for those people. And I follow the Spirit. Look for the Ark of the Covenant. Where is it? Follow that. My sixth thing is I shout. I'm standing here today to tell you that I'm going to believe this. I'm going to lift my voice in prayer and praise and petition for this impossible thing. For this baby that is out of my reach. What is your impossible thing? I wish that I could be at day seven right now and tell you the walls came down and it's over. I think I'm at day two. It's early days yet. And it's slow and it's painful and I'm still complaining about filling out paperwork and I've got physicals to schedule with the doctors and it's just nothing miraculous at all. But lunacy becomes reality. Anything is possible. If becomes is. Jericho falls. God is faithful, even when we aren't. What are your six impossible things that you have to practice believing before breakfast? These are mine. I don't know what yours is. For some of you, I feel like I could guess. But what would it look like to do a march around your Jericho? Who would you gather? Who would you call? Who would pray? Who would remind you to do the application? Find those people. and believe in these impossible things with me. Let's pray. God, you are so good and so generous and so other that you do things like vanquish enemies by making their walls fall down. Thank you for including us in the battle. God, would you open our eyes to those around us who are fighting that we could join in, that we could blow a horn for? If it's us, God, would you open our ears to hear you saying, anything is possible? And 
God, would you equip us with everything we need to do your will? Strengthen our weak knees. Refasten our grip so we can keep going, keep marching towards impossible things. Thank you for speaking. And thank you for multiplying this small moment in time so we all can dream about these things together. I pray your blessing upon each person here. Oh, Father, tell them of your impossible things. I say this in all in the name of Jesus. Amen.